Hello and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Josh Chapel. Today we'll be talking about Gen Con, gaming, fooding, and drinking. Yeah, so um, Where? I know what? Where? I start a lot of these podcasts off with the word yeah, and I, I regret that. I'm sorry. I know. It's one of those things where it's difficult to just sort of jump into there. <laughs> I could start it off with so. So, we just got back from Gen Con. <laughs> I don't. Now I'm, now I'm stuck. I'm sorry. You could just be like, we just got back from Gen Con, and, and boy, boy, are our arms tired. tired. <laughs> yeah. I think my feet were more tired than my arms. That seems fair. Yeah, I always try and wear comfortable shoes. There's usually the one day I don't wear comfortable shoes is the uh, the magic day where I'm like sitting down for all day. Anyway, yeah, uh, I mean Gen Con, wear comfortable shoes. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. This was a good one. You've Bye. wasted another two minutes of your <laughs> life listening to Serious Vintage. Uh, so we just we're just starting this one over. <laughs> No, I think this was great. <laughs> well, it's better than a three-hour podcast. <laughs> Zing! What? No, that's not a reference. Come on. Every year for the past, what, six years? I think we were trying to figure it out, and we decided that we did start in, I think, 2010. I think that's right. For the past few years, anyway, some combination of Team Serious, usually, well, Jeff and I have gone every year since 2010. And But there was a contingent that were going earlier than that, right? Yeah, a couple years earlier, because Vintage Champs was at Gen Con. Yeah, and yeah. And people went to play in that. That was before I had power, so I really didn't have reason to go. I didn't know, actually. I didn't know I had reason to go before I had power. I think the first year that I went, I did not have power. I think the first year I went, I was borrowing power and had just gotten my first couple pieces from Ryan Seeley. So. Oh, yeah. The first year was the year that I borrowed JC's dredge deck, oh, yeah. thought that I lost his bazaars, and tore apart the room while you guys were at the dance looking for it. That's right. Can that you imagine if you'd lost it now? Ugh. Yeah, right. So we, we went to Gen Con. We love Gen Con. Uh, a, a different combination of us goes every year. And this year actually included Coffee Cup and Brass Man, but Brass Man couldn't be here tonight. So we're recording without him. He said it was okay. Oh, he's a little rusty. So this year they had a uh, record turnstile attendance with more than 200,000 attendees. That's individual, like people walking through the gate, not to. Uh, How do they count that? Because we don't use turnstiles there. You know, I don't know. It's probably like the number of pe- – if you buy a four-day pass, they count you times four. Yeah, they count you yeah, as four days. probably true. Right. So badges sold was 60,000 – 60,819 to be specific. So it's quite a sizable event. I mean if anyone's familiar with something like Origins, I mean you're looking at something that's five times the size of Origins. It's funny how – I went to Origins a couple of times before going to Gen Con – and I always thought that Origins was significant, and I didn't even—I th- didn't even think to compare them when I went to Gen Con, and then I went back to Origins, and it's like, oh, oh, this is it, right? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, right. They're both great shows. It's a lot of fun. They're different, yeah. totally different feels, but right. it's a lot of fun. Um, so we've been going there for. But but you said that um, the the sixty thousand was the same number or around the same. Yeah, so sixty thousand badges is pretty much the same as what they have had or what they had last year, rather. I'm interested to know whether there was something else at work there or if we have actually sort of the population has sort of metered itself out and this is the number of people that Indianapolis can support as far as housing is concerned. I have a feeling that it's probably, I mean, that's probably part of it. I know that, um, and I think we talked about this on last year's Gen Con podcast about um, housing lottery and how kind of miserable that is. Yeah. kind of is. Everyone throws their hand in and Hopefully a couple people yeah. that you know get a room. and Right. So, we, I mean, this year, from our experience, I mean, we had five and five and three. We had eight people who, who went yeah. from, from our group, and we did end up getting two rooms. In previous years, we've had, like, 14 people and try and get three rooms. It's just hard. Like, everybody, how many people do we have actually trying to get a room this year? Like, six at a time? I think so, yeah. And if two of us eventually got a room. And and because of that, because we were low on rooms, there were people who decided not to come. I mean, who you know, back in January when everyone was trying to reserve spaces, said, you know what, I'm without knowing the housing plan, I'm out. Like I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna deal yeah. with this. And I can understand that. So, I mean, the housing from our experience certainly kept people away. I mean, we, we probably lost at least three, maybe four or five or six people to it. And we couldn't lure Nam out, even though we had a spot for him. Right. Well, I don't know what else you do. Like, I mean, you're going to end, even yeah. if you don't have a Gen Con housing lottery, like, you're going to have a housing lottery right. per hotel room, essentially, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate their situation. It's going to be awful, however it is. But yeah. it, It's probably better off this way rather than, like, people just booking out as soon as possible, as right. soon as hotels come around. Right. And even worse would be like some people overbooking and like scalping them to people. Right. Well, that's, I have a feeling that's what they had in previous years. I mean, I, and I sort of think that's what they have now is like you have groups like ours who want to go. So as many people as they can try and get a hotel room and you true. can't afford to pass one up because you yep. might not get other ones. So yep. you still end up with overbooking and that's an actual problem. I'd like to see them open a Lucas Oil Field to tent camping. Oh, that'd be oh, cool. That'd be sweet. Yeah. Interestingly, this was the first year that they expanded events into the Lucas Oil Fieldhouse, which is where the Indianapolis Colts play football. I know they had True Dungeon over there. I know they had some other stuff. I didn't. I didn't actually make it over there myself, but I did not know that. Yeah, they they greatly expanded their um, basic show coverage, and uh, the exhibit hall this year was, I would say, at least a third bigger than it had been. I would call it truly massive. Yeah, they uh, <laughs> basically the. The area that had contained Magic and some other card games, they actually pushed the exhibit hall into that area and pushed Magic into a another event hall. And actually, um, Magic was much smaller this year than it Very has much been. so. And like I said, we started going when Gen Con was host to Vintage and Legacy Champs. I'm pretty sure Worlds was there one year when we were there. They had been a marquee magic event space and this year it was like you know they had kind of small events yeah i think that we're we're seeing that pivot that wizards has said that they're taking which is basically that 
they're trying to make their own events. Right. Yeah, their their Grand Prix are going to be their conventions, essentially. So, yeah. Yeah, Grand Prix and other events. But they did have three vintage events, uh, actually four vintage events. They had one uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, I think the most of the people in our group or some of the people in our group uh, decided to play on, what was it, Friday? Yeah, I think it was Friday. That was the day that didn't conflict with dinner. Yep. So a group of us played on Friday, and we had, what, 28 people? I think that's right. Yeah. Somewhere around there, high 20s. You know, it was fun. It's it's sort of a casual event. There's generally people playing vintage at Gen Con that you only, I only run into like playing vintage at Gen Con. So. I, I do think it's kind of fun that I really do see pretty much the same people yeah. there. Like not not necessarily the same people, but there's there's that Gen Con crew that it's like, hey, it's you again playing yeah. vintage at Gen Con. Nice to see you. Right. Right. Which is nice. Um, yeah. It's, it's always sort of a, a casual feel, and it's honestly, it's like playing at your local store, only it's, you know, the Gen Con metagame instead of the Columbus, Ohio metagame. Or, you know. Yeah. I played Belcher. I played Red Green Belcher because I wanted to, and I did. <laughs> I won a game. <laughs> <laughs> that's a game, not a match, right? That's absolutely right. I won a game. Well, uh, to be Oh, well, that's, that's actually not true. Won I, I won. <laughs> Yeah, I did win a match because um, oh right, my opponent was unprepared for vintage. But yes, uh, but it, well, yes. I mean, he did have force of wills, but he like he didn't really have anything beyond force of wills that would stop me. So yeah, because he was playing just like some kind of tribal, right? No, 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 no. He was playing. It was essentially Delver. Uh, he was playing Delver with. Um, did he have steam vents? He did, and he also had Kiln right. Fiend. That was his. Uh, yeah. Yes, I saw that. Day. He had Kiln Fiend and that. Sorcery that gives plus three plus O and has flash. Reckless charge. Reckless charge. Wow, you are you, on point. Wow, you know those random <laughs> yeah. cards. So he had he had reckless charge, and so he could reckless charge his kiln fiend. He could also reckless charge a. Um, he had a couple of trigon predators, so like he could he could put the trigon predator to play, reckless charge it, and destroy your enchantment or your artifact right away, rather than waiting a turn. Or he could die to Belcher. So in game one, I really didn't know what I was playing against. You know, so I had a good hand and I emptied the Warrens and ran him over in a couple turns. And in game two, I was like, well, he told me his deck was really cool, so I'm going to try and slow roll this and maybe <laughs> see what his deck can do. And my deck did not allow me to slow roll it. <laughs> I, my opening hand was essentially Wheel of Fortune. So I went ahead and played that and it resolved. And after playing Wheel of Fortune, I could resolve both Empty the Warrens and Belcher. Your wheel hand, I was watching this one, was bonkers. Yeah, it was real good. Well, it, it made up for that earlier wheel where I drew three serum powders. So. Ooh, nice. That was the match before where I was playing against White Eldrazi. Yeah, I saw the uh, red-blue Delver player with Kiln Fiend uh -huh. was playing against Oath. And his oh. opponent plays Oath and passes, and then he casts Trigon Predator and, and Reckless Charge. I was yeah, I was confused, and his opponent was confused, and then he casts Reckless Charge, and I was like, yeah. whoa! And then blow out like, oh, okay, I'll just pyroblast your Trigon Predator. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was pretty pretty swingy real quick. It was a neat deck, and we did talk about it a little bit, and you know, maybe I gave him some suggestions that would still allow him to keep the unique flavor, but maybe help improve things a little bit. How much damage does Kiln Fiend Reckless Charge do? By itself? Yeah. 
what is Kiln Fiend, like a 2-1 or 1-1? One, one? It's pretty good in a fun sense. <laughs> I actually told him he might actually be better off playing without the blue cards to support flu- Force of Will necessarily and, and just play more red cards. Yeah, just, just try and, end the game. Yeah, just try and burn your opponent out. But uh, I don't know. In the previous match I'd played against White Eldrazi, and he opened with Thorn of Amethyst. And if I had drawn a Spirit Guide at any point during that game, I would have easily won because I had both Lotus and Channel in my hand, but I didn't. And then game two, I played Wheel and drew three Serum Powders, played two of them, and then won with Belter on the next two turns. (laughs) And then... And then I lost to, I don't know, something in game three. So yeah, I, I, the only match I won was uh, the last one against Kiln Fiend. Rough beats. Yeah. Jeff, how'd you do? I got absolutely rocked. Yeah? Yeah, I played the same deck I've been playing, Glass City Vault. And uh, some days the cards come <laughs> together, and some days the cards don't. And the cards did not come together at all for me. I didn't win any matches. I think I might have won a game. Oh. Yeah, it wasn't so good. <laughs> Most games, I just wasn't really in them. But uh, I definitely really boned up one time when I miscounted my mana and I ended up not being able to flash in a Notion Thief in response to uh, my opponent's DAC activation. Oh. That was really, really disheartening. <laughs> Did you outplay yourself there? Was it? Yeah, it's just like, oh, I'm going to be really tricky here, and I'm going to have just the right amount of mana. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to have right just the right amount of mana. He's like, Dak targeting me, and I'm like, response. And I look down. No response. No response. <laughs> Make two colorless. <laughs> so, yeah. Things just didn't come together, and that's sometimes the way it goes, so... I went loss, loss, and I was going to play my third round because I was hoping to play against Nat, but I got the bye, and he played against Blue Kiln Delver Fiend. with Kiln Fiend, so I was hungry and wanted to go get food. Yeah. Uh, that match was over quick, though. Yeah. That was, that was fine. <laughs> but, you know, Josh Chappell did well. He did. Yeah, I did I did okay. I went 3-1, and then in round five, I got paired against another Team Serious member, Sam Crollo. And we just decided that I scooped a Sam and we prize split. We prize split a box and Sam got a Gideon and a foil expedition steam vents. And I think collectively I probably my best card was like a foil forest. A foil forest, not a force. Yeah, a forest. Foil forest. Makes green mana for free. That's insane. So you guys bought the box, split the packs, and then each individually opened your packs? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, you could have opened all the packs, sold the cards, collected the money, and split that. Yeah, we could have, yeah, but whatever. Fine. I mean, I, I don't really care. No, no, it's cool. I, you yeah. know. But I played Bug Control, and, and that was pretty good. I mean, the deck comes from behind a lot. Every time I watch that deck play, it's like, oh, he's losing. And then all of a sudden you're like, I think maybe he's going to turn it around here. <laughs> it's like, oh. He just windmill slammed a Gurmag Angler. Yeah. <laughs> this seems and, neat. And that's exactly. I mean, I think the the deck is interesting because you can have the same deck and three different people can play it different ways and it, it's effective right. either way. But I play a little slower, a little more controlly. I was pretty heavy on like Crucible Worlds and Wasteland Strip Mine were great for me the whole time. <laughs> um, I would just grind my opponents down and then slam a Gurmag Angler and 
that usually won me the game. I had Demonic Tutor for yeah. Gurmag Angler. Well, Wasteland and Strip Mine seem really good if you're playing against, like, Eldrazi. Yeah. My first round was against Dredge, a gentleman that I believe was wearing a serious vintage shirt. Oh, yeah. Was he the guy from Indianapolis? Yep. Yeah. And he won game one, obviously. And then, you know, I sideboarded for Dredge and hit my sideboard cards or mulligan to my sideboard cards. And one game I had two cages and he couldn't fight through both of those. And the other game I had a back-breaking ravenous trap that pretty much ended the game for him. <laughs> oh, I remember seeing that. That's another game. You looked so far behind. And then it's like, it's like, oh, I think Cup's going to lose this one. Oh, we just pulled ravenous trap. Turning this one around. I guess guess he won this. (laughs) Yeah, and then I played against Esper Mentor, and he got a Mentor out in two tokens, and I'm like, all right, this is it. And somehow I fought through that, and I won that game. (laughs) And then another game, he stripped my hand with Cabal Therapies and Thought Seizes down to, like, a Dismember, and I top deck Recall, and I won that game. Yeah. And then I played against Blue, Red, kind of just control it. I didn't see Delvers, kind of Snapcasters. He played a turn one Consecrated Sphinx, and luckily I had Land, Mox Jet, Mox Emerald, Maelstrom Pulse, so I was able to kill it on <laughs> turn one. <laughs> All right, uh, then. Nice. Must be nice. Remember how I was saying sometimes the cards come together and sometimes they don't? Yeah. That's the cards coming together. Exactly. But no, that's just what the deck does. <laughs> These are not god hands. These are not god hands. Yeah, and then I played against <laughs> Nate Ponce, who was playing... I think he posted the tournament report on TMD. He was playing a Steel City Vault, like, focused around speed. He's the he's the guy who posted the 5-0 tournament report at Gen Con. Yep, exactly. I was his, uh, his fourth round. Oh, okay. So then game two, you know, we had a pretty good back and forth. He had key. I had the abrupt decay to answer it, and then... I kind of played some dudes and was swinging in, and I had him down to one, and then he time twistered into Tinker to get key again or to get vault time vault oh. again. So that was it. My heart was crushed, but no, it was fun. Everyone I played against was fun. I had a good time. I don't get to play a ton of Magic out in Colorado, so it's kind of nice. Yeah, I always I always think the games at Gen Con are a lot of fun. I haven't run into anyone there who's been like unpleasant to play against because they're either too serious or. Yeah. You know, jerks. I don't like playing against jerks. I don't either. That's why I play Belcher. That makes <laughs> you can me be the jerk. jerk. Yeah. I was thinking about it. Every year I've gone to Gen Con, I think I've played less and less magic. And I think next year is probably the year that I might not play any magic. Well, and it also is. It's, it's kind of an investment and a yeah. little frightening to take all of your cards with you. And leave them in the hotel room for four days. Yeah, that's that definitely factors into it. I just, you know, there's so much going on at Gen Con that to spend three or four or five hours playing one game that I can play pretty regularly, it's just kind of a bummer. I mean, yeah. it's like I, I, I feel like I'm missing out. The other pull that I feel is that, you know, I want to represent vintage and make it a fun format and hang out with people who are vintage players, but... Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's not very fun playing for prize wall tickets either. I mean, that's pretty boring. Yeah, I mean, the prizes don't really matter. But it did seem like the vintage artist constructed was pretty sweet, and I think next year I would play that. Yeah, that's that's a fun format. Um, so Josh Kraus has has sort of been running these Gen Con vintage artist constructed tournaments. 
you can follow him on Twitter. He's original MTG art, I think. So the idea behind, behind Magic Artist Constructed is that you're playing a vintage deck. Like, all of your cards have to be vintage legal, but they also have to all be done by the same artist. So if you want to play Moxes, you have to play Dan Frazier, <laughs> which is what I do. <laughs> if you want to play any artist, really, you basically have to first check and see if they've any, made any basic lands. Right. right. Because if they haven't, you're probably not playing them. Right. It's funny that there's there's some interesting decks and there's some really surprisingly powerful decks, like some surprisingly coherent decks that come out of this. Chris Meller has a red-white deck that's very good. Kev Walker has a rock deck, a black-green deck that's, that's super good. And you can you can look some of these up. There's there's other examples. But, yeah, I mean, I had uh, mostly mono-black Dan Frazier that I think I could probably tune to be a little better than it is now, but right now I'm playing fun cards mostly. I think that in that format, that's a perfectly reasonable course to take. It's really not. <laughs> that's um, fine. It It's fine in that, you know, I don't really, I mean, there's no entry fee for the tournament or anything. It's really just going there and hanging out and playing, but. You need Dan Frazier to draw a card in, in the next, in the last 10 years, right? Right. Yeah. All of my cards, I think are old border. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're all old border. You know, my, my best play is, you know, Turn one swamp, turn two mox mox swamp juggernaut, which you know is good. Like that's a fine play, but it you know it doesn't stand up against you know anyone whose artist did lightning bolt, for example. It's a very creature centric format, so any deck that wants to play needs to answer creatures. Right. Yeah, it's not great against turn one Isamaru, turn two Jit, turn three equip lightning bolt. Yeah, the big play that Dan Fraser has is turn one gloom. Um, and it's surprising how many decks in that format are playing white and will lose immediately to Gloom. But it's a fun format. I, I like it. I like there's a surprising amount of diversity. You can you can do a lot of different things with it, and I like that the restriction on it brings a lot of creativity to the format. I also had a a friend, uh, my wife's cousin, who was playing a white green christopher rush deck with black lotus that i had built that also did not do very well the big trick there in addition to having black lotus into some larger creatures like seraph and <laughs> craw giant oh, i love that card that was like oh man yeah craw giant though yeah i hope you just said that so you can bleep it out sure did <laughs> <laughs> so anyway so 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 it's got a few giant creatures, and the other thing it has is 16 elves, including Wellwisher. So if you get one or more Wellwishers to stick, you just gain a lot of life and annoy your opponent to death. <laughs> you can kill me, but it's going to take you a while. Yeah, right. We're, we're going to make this game last all night. So anyway, that's what I played. That's what uh, I had on hand, and... I did win a game in that mat or in that format when I had Gloom and then also Gloom, <laughs> and won at my leisure. Yeah, I'm hoping there's some vintage artists constructed at Eternal Weekend. Uh, like I said, Josh Krause has been organizing these. I think there's probably going to be one at Eternal Weekend in Columbus. I think he did one at GP Portland as well, and I think other people are trying to pick up that format at other large events like Grand Prix. So. If you're interested, there's a Facebook group, Vintage Artists Constructed, that you could get in on. It's a lot of fun. And actually, he, he puts up some decent prizes. Like, I know he's put up some uh, sketches and stuff like that, that, like actual art sketches that 
he has on hand. So it's a fun format with pretty cool prizes. I think that was all the magic I played except uh, watching you guys play in the hall. <laughs> it's too loud in the hotel room. Let's go play in the hallway. Right. And then everybody migrated from the hotel room into the hallway. <laughs> that was great for staying in the hotel room, I got to say. Cheers to the Alexander because the last time I was at Gen Con, I think we got a talking to every night and no one said a word to us at the Alexander. That's true. I don't think the Alexander cared. Yeah. No. Magic is but one part of Gen Con. Definitely the butt part. Yeah, it might be the butt part. But there's a lot of other games to play, and I, I think that's my goal when I go to Gen Con is just to try new things and see what's fun. There's a few games that can only be played, well, can realistically only be played at Gen Con too, either because you have a, a large enough group of friends there or because there's a large enough population that wants to play them that you can sort of get into it. For example, we tried to have a big eight-player game of Fortune and Glory, which is a game I got last year at Gen Con. <laughs> you thought playing Magic in the hotel hallway was loud. I think we did a pretty good job on their open gaming room at the end. Yeah, that was great well. because because when we went in, in there, I think that there were probably like five other groups of people gaming in the open gaming room. And by the time that we got too drunk to continue the game and left... There was only one remaining group of the people that just wouldn't give up. <laughs> you guys cleared the room? We really did. Yeah. It was a fun night, and I have to admit, it did go better than I expected. We had eight people, and some of them were drinking heavily. Yes. and um, Heavily. And, and we got several turns in on that game, and you know there, there were relics recovered. People were doing stuff. Some people died. There were people who died and came back to life. Juan came in the middle and took over my character and then stone cold a couple beers. You know, it was a lot of fun. I think we uh, we really impressed John Hammock. He realized that night that we... <laughs> Team Serious has no limits. <laughs> Team Serious is serious about drinking and having a good time in the evenings. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. I, I always enjoy hanging out with him, too. So. <laughs> but I still want to play a real game of Fortune and Glory because I've been hearing so many good things about the game. Yeah, well, I hope that impressed you enough. But I have a feeling that eight players is probably supported by that game, but it's probably not ideal, especially yeah. when people are drinking. I think it you end up with a lot of time between people's turns. So you either have to have people who are really invested in other people doing well, which could mean that you want a cooperative game, or... You might just want a smaller game of like four or five people. Yeah. Because I think the uh, best time I had playing that game was me and one of my friends from college. And the play of the game was when he revealed a, a mob card to come down in Canada. And we realized the only mobster it could be was Icebox Eddie. <laughs> and uh, so we were just doing Canadian accents for Icebox Eddie. And, and he was rampaging all over the Great White North. <laughs> Perfect. It was, it was a lot of fun. Anyway. Uh, Jeff, what, what did you play? I think that the most interesting game that we played, I was, on the first day, Nat texted me and he's like, I just played NetHack, the board game. And I was like, 
I want to play this. <laughs> and so you I came around and we played. NetHack is too. Uh, yeah, so NetHack is a roguelike, one of the older ones. So roguelike is an old ASCII text-based adventure game. And NetHack is sort of a refining on those roguelike elements. It's, so what hallmarks of, of roguelikes are randomly generated dungeons and permadeath and sort of like, you, you don't, you don't, you don't know everything. <laughs> you don't know everything. Like your knowledge is your power. So when you die, you sort of are assessing like why you died, um, okay. what you might have done differently. And so you take that with you the next time. And hopefully you, if you meet that situation again, you approach it in a better way and you'll be able to get through it. And so what Pocket Dungeon Quest is, it is a, a randomized, I think it's 12 by 12 or is it 10 by 10? It's 10 by 10. It's a 10 by 10 dungeon of upside down tiles. And you have a character, and when you move next to tiles, you reveal all the tiles in your, your the eight squares around you. And then, depending on what you reveal, you do things. Like, so you have to fight monsters, take treasure, um, find spells to use against monsters. And I, I, you're trying to find three different relics around the dungeon and then find the exit to go down to the next level. And... You know, it's very reminiscent of that net hack kind of feel where you're, you're, you're finding, I certainly die. Yeah. A lot. But we were very engaged by it. And I think that it's, it's a tribute to how engaged we were that like we started coming up with lots of questions and, and things that we wanted to sort of talk to the creator about. Right. As with roguelikes, it's very simple on the surface. I mean, you can, yeah. you can start a game of net hack and run around for a little bit and die. And like, that was kind of fun. But yeah, yeah. But like, you know, you can, Add more to it as you learn things. You could you could do the same thing with Pocket Dungeon Quest, where it's like, well, the you know. the wiki for NetHack is just yeah. hundreds of thousands of words. You can just read there forever. And oh yeah, it, there's such a wealth of information because it's so deep. Right. He was talking to us about Dwarf Fortress, and Dwarf Fortress is is very similar, where it's a, a society building roguelike element game. There's so much depth in the game, and it's amazing the things that all of these edge cases, like I can't even get into it, we need Eric to talk about it, but <laughs> all sorts of just really, really crazy situations that come up that are, that are handled, like right. there are, there's a way that, that this works, and if you know how to deal with it, you can deal with it, but if you don't, you're in a bad way, you're gonna learn. Right. <laughs> probably, it is probably not gonna work out well for you the first time. Right. The thing I found most fascinating is that we, like, I immediately made the connection between Pocket Dungeon Quest and NetHack. And I was like, oh, this is NetHack the game. Yeah. And, like, I told you and Eric, and we were all really excited about it. We went back and played it, and we talked to him. He's like, I have never heard of NetHack. What is this game? <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy to me because, I mean, he's not obviously familiar with the roguelike genre because right. he knows, like, Dwarf Fortress and stuff like that. But, uh... It just, it feels so net hacky to me that I really am excited for him to go, <laughs> go home and experience it. Right, right. Yeah, I have no idea what net hack is. You should, you should download it. It's free. You can probably play it at work. Everyone will think you're just working on a, yeah, some weird computer program. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be impressive. They're like, man, are you starting to write code? We should pay you more money. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be like, absolutely. You, you see this? It indicates I'm a wizard. <laughs> Well, I mean, you can just be like, yeah, I'm net hacking. Yeah. I'm like, wow, we should pay you more money. 
playing Pocket Dungeon Quest did inspire me to put NetHack on my phone. So it's kind of fun. <laughs> There's a lot that was in that game that was just really both nostalgic and interesting for me. And I'm excited to try and play it more and and maybe add some house rules and yeah. house house things. I know Eric was talking about getting some whiteboard markers and tiles and making up his own stuff and yeah. having stuff that would be randomly generated or change depending on what you want to do and stuff like There's that. There's so much that you can do with right. that base. Yeah. Like, sky's the limit. Right now, it's a very basic, simple game. Like he was talking about, or the, the developer was talking about playing it with his nephews, I think, who were like six and eight. It's like, they love it. And it's like, I can see that. And I can see where you'd like, you can take this and build on it so that when they're 14 and 15 and whatever, like they're going to want to play at a more advanced level with some yeah. more, more things to keep track of. Definitely. Stuff like that. I see a lot for that in the future. The other game that we played with Eric actually was Thief's Market. <laughs> it's it's sort of a funny game. You you roll dice and all these dice have little symbols on them that represent different colored gems and you collect gems and then can spend them on different things that make your thief more notorious. Like you can get a crazy looking monocle that you know would be like your thief's trademark or you can get a you can hire a tailor that would make your thief extravagant clothing that would, you know, everyone would know you're a great thief. I mean, that's the backstory, but the the real thing is like you're dividing up these gems among this group of thieves and you have to figure out. And all those items have effects on how you're dividing them and how you can use them. But really the dividing is nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, it's real weird. I don't know that I ever got it. <laughs> Do you want to try and explain it? Because I tried to explain it to Sarah, and I was just like, you are not, I would not be able to pick up what I just said. I, I do not want to try and explain it. I'm sorry. You've already had practice, so go for it. So you roll the dice, and the person who rolled the dice then takes a, I think that there are probably like 12 of them for, for four players, and that person takes any number of the dice and then the next person has the option to steal all but one of those dice or choose dice from the center and and take those. Right. And a person who has been stolen from, it will come around to them again, and you basically keep on going until no one hasn't chosen who hasn't been stolen from. So what you end up with, because this is a nightmare, is... <laughs> You want to try and take the number of dice that you need to achieve your goal that isn't enough to make it worth stealing from you. Right. And that's hard. Like, I was constantly frustrated that I could not get, like, if I tried to get the number of dice that I wanted in order to do what I wanted to do, it would be too many and I would get stolen from. Right. Very difficult. I think Eric and I both basically just gave up and started lowballing everything and just stealing low numbers, taking low numbers of dice is not my bag, that game. <laughs> well, it was interesting to me just because I think the number of players in that game drastically changes how that game is played. I, I agree. Regardless yeah. of how the number of dice change to accommodate that, because I'm sure you have more dice for more players and mm -hmm. for fewer players. It says on the box that it uh, it's for three to five, and says best is four, and I, that's 
that's what we had when we played it, including the guy who was teaching us how to play who demolished us because he cheated. He, he was he was hiding his purchases. <laughs> yeah. And none of us yeah. realized that he had all these purchases. He didn't cheat. It was just it wasn't obvious. Cheat. He, he cheated. Cheat. All right, it's fine. He cheated. <laughs> Um, yeah, so basically we were all stacking our purchases while uh, uh, laying out our purchases in front of us, and he was just keeping his in a stack, right? It was, which I, I mean, did not realize. Yeah, part of that was because we were playing on a small table. And, it's true. I mean, like, you didn't have infinite room to lay out all your cards, but like, all of us were trying to lay them out so that we could see what they would all do and remember what they would all do. And So we got stomped. He knew some of the... Like, I mean, we probably would have lost even if we had known right. that he he had all those things, but it just would have been a little bit less... Because I, I thought the game was sort of even, but it wasn't at all. Yeah, I thought so too. And, and as it turned out, we were like 20 points behind or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of that, though, would have been... Like, he certainly has played it before. Right. And we had no idea what was coming up. Like... This card has more points if you have other, like, like this card has a little castle on it and it gets more points if you have other castle cards. Right. Like I picked that, but I didn't realize there was only one other castle card in the deck. Right. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously familiarity plays into yeah. a lot of games. Yeah. Um, I can see people who are very competitive and cutthroat having a lot of fun with that game. It's just not me. <laughs> I liked it as a science experiment. I don't know that I would buy it. I don't know that I really want to play it all the time. It was just like, yeah. this was interesting, and I want to see how other people play this game. That's true, yeah. It would be interesting to watch other people. It would be especially interesting. I would love to watch like people who are good at that, which is funny, because I would say the same thing about the next game that we wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's games that are like that. People who are... I get what you're saying. Like, there are people who are gamers, like people who try to win encounters with other people who would be very fun to watch playing Thieves Market. Yeah. The other game that you, you just alluded to saying that we wanted to watch professionals play this game is Captain Sonar, which is a, a new release this year. It was, uh, they had a big table set up in the exhibit hall. We, Jeff Brassman and I played it in the, board game geek hot games room the story behind captain sonar is that it's for two to eight players we had eight players total that we were playing with so one other person got added to our team and you have four people on each side and you're the command crew of a submarine and so everyone on your team has a different role there's a captain who navigates, basically, they have a, a map in front of them and they mark on the map where they want the sub, submarine to go. And then there's a first mate who is in charge of ship systems and whenever the captain makes a move, the first mate charges one of the systems. So, for example, if you want to use the torpedoes, you have to make sure it's charged by the time you want to use them. I really want to know how you're going to explain what the engineer does. Right? <laughs> <laughs> The, the engineer is funny because uh, as the captain makes a move, the engineer, I'm going to say depletes rather than <laughs> breaks, breaks. One, of, one of the systems in the submarine. So the, the rule book actually says breaks. It makes it sound like the submarine is completely unreliable. It is. But, it is. Your but submarine anyway, that, sounds unreliable. 
Yeah. The engineer has a diagram of the systems on the submarine. They're all interconnected and he can break one of these systems and he has to do this with each move the captain makes. And at a certain point, after he's broken the systems in a proper area or in, in the right sequence, essentially, those systems will repair and he can continue the process. So the um, It's not easy. No, it did not look easy. I did not <laughs> my job was relatively simple. <laughs> but essentially the the first mate and the engineer have to coordinate so that for example, when the torpedoes are ready to fire, the torpedoes also work. <laughs> yeah. I was very proud of the fact that You did a great job. For our entire game, there was never a time when Andy wanted to do something right. that was broken. Right. And so so, I mean, the, the, the captain and the first mate and the engineer all sort of coordinate these things. Like, we're going to be here. By the time we get to such and such an area, we're going to want to fire a torpedo. Or we're gonna... I would say there's sort of minimal actual table talk. We're sort of... Right. The way that it's supposed to be seated is you have the captain, and then to his right is the first mate, and then to his right is yeah. the engineer. Right. And so... Nat was the first mate, and I'm looking over at Nat to see what he's charging, so I have an idea on what I need to not have broken right. when it fully charges. Right, and that's that's part of the idea is, like, you can look at what your teammates are doing to see what you're, what yeah. you're going to try and do. Because you're not really talking about it. You're right. sort of figuring out where things are headed. Right, and so the, I mean, essentially the communication per a team is the captain says a direction, like, east, and... The first mate says east confirmed, and the engineer says east confirmed, and yeah. and that's it. And like you know, basically <laughs> when you get to a point, everything has to be ready to go. So that's that's three of the roles out of four. The fourth role is I think probably the most important. Yes, agreed. <laughs> the fourth role is the radio officer who is spying on the enemy submarine. So basically, our radio officer is listening for the opposing commander to say. East, and then in this case, we were we were playing with a a woman who joined our team, so she would write down on the sheet. She she has actually a, a plastic overlay that goes over a, a map of the area, and so she marks the opposing submarine's course, and then can move it around the map so it lines up with an actual workable course that doesn't, for example, run into an island or yeah. something like that. Is that did I explain all of that? No, before? that's perfect. I think that like. Any one of those jobs breaking yeah. down, like if the first mate is charging the wrong thing, right. then you screw up. If the engineer breaks things wrong, you screw up. But I would say, especially with the radio operator, if if you don't know where the enemy sub is, you really do nothing in Captain Sonar other right. than die. Well, and we, and we didn't we didn't help her at all, honestly. I mean, it, because because <laughs> yeah, the true. first thing that we did not do was charge any of these sensors. Yeah. So yeah. our, I mean, I think when you're playing, it seems like to me that there's probably a set of systems that you're not going to get charged. There are three sets of systems. First is weapons where you have mines and torpedoes. Second is sensors where you have drones and sonar. And third is, I don't know, mission specific. So you have silent running, which gets you out of trouble. And you have scenario, which I think in campaign mode like advances your scenario by one step i forget where i was going with all this basically we we elected to keep our right intelligence gathering systems broken the whole time whereas the first thing our opponents did 
was use their sonar to get a get a decent idea on where we were. Right. And we never did that. We never did that. And we came to a certain point where they had hit us once and then we had been like, Alright, we got the weapons charged. We thought we knew where they were and it's like, fire right here. And they looked at us and they're like, we're nowhere near that. It's yeah. like, we are screwed. Yeah, right. Uh, so essentially we got to the point where they knew where we were and we had no idea where they were. <laughs> and it was such a, such a position for us that our silent running couldn't get us far enough away from where we needed to be. Yeah. Like it couldn't put us in a mystery spot, basically. Like we couldn't, we couldn't end up somewhere else. It was a really interesting game. Like I said, I would I would love to watch this played like by groups who are really good. I would watch this on ESPN. And surprisingly not very expensive. I was surprised too because it seemed like there were a lot of parts in it, including yeah. like two big screens that you set up to separate the two teams. Surprisingly affordable for what it is. Um you get a lot of stuff in the box. I think it was $45 at cool stuff for me. So Pretty great. Um, yeah, it seemed seemed like a good deal. So I also it. the only advertisement, like only commercial I could find for it on YouTube, was, it was in all French. in French. Yeah, which is awesome. Which was real neat. Yeah, it is. It is designed by the French, and they had some champion dress up, yeah, people to to reenact a sweet game of Captain. It was, it was Sonar pretty awesome. Really I mean, it. if I yeah. if I played Captain Sonar professionally. I would want one of those uniforms. I would definitely make my own uniform for my team. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, doing this. All right. Do we want to talk about Letter Tycoon? I actually don't want to talk about Letter Tycoon. Good, me either. Do we not want to talk about Werewolf? Tell us about Werewolf. What, did you, what did you want me to talk about, Werewolf Cup? I, I don't know. I mean, I only have a very vague recollection of what was happening at that point because JR was handing out uh, <laughs> shots of Maker's Mark to random people in the event hall or the hallway. I did hear that at a certain point in the Werewolf game, JR just went over and took off Juan's shirt. He did. So well, anyway, we'll, we'll and, go back and, to the beginning of we were of not Werewolf. the only people because a <laughs> random Scotsman showed up with a bottle of corn liquor that he was passing around, and we had no idea who this guy was. <laughs> I kind of expected to wake up dead from that one, but but he turned out to be a real cool guy, and his corn liquor was yeah. okay. The bottle of Maker's Mark, when we left the hotel, it was still a little bit left, and you were like, I would take this home, but a lot of people had their mouths on this bottle. Oh, yeah. I didn't really want to take that home, but someone took it out of the bag yep. we left on the street. <laughs> nice. So Werewolf is one of the games that you can, well realistically a lot of people can only play at gen con or origins or other big events like that the basic game involves 15 people and you all join a village and the village consists of 12 villagers two werewolves and one seer and the way the game works is everybody goes to sleep metaphorically speaking everyone goes to sleep the werewolves identify each other the seer gets identified by the moderator and then everyone wakes up and pretty much lynches somebody. At random? Just not, decide. I mean, it's not really at random, but it's just you don't know anything for, for the first round, so you kind of just pick someone at random. Like, the first game I got into on Friday night, I had mistakenly worn red, and that is one of the triggers that people will use to lynch somebody on night one. Is like, well, that guy's wearing red. He's obviously a werewolf. And so, oh. so I was immediately out of that game in, like, ten minutes. Other things to avoid are like having crazy facial hair or being on your phone. 
So, and then after the first night, everyone goes to sleep. The werewolves wake up and kill somebody. The seer wakes up and can get confirmation from a moderator whether a person that they're indicating is either yes, a werewolf, or no, not a werewolf. And then everybody wakes up, and the game continues from there. Basically, the villagers are trying to talk amongst themselves and figure out who is a werewolf based on body language and relationships and things like that. And then the seer is slowly identifying people who are safe to tell that they're the seer and people who are werewolves and need to be uh, eventually outed. This was actually the first year I played it at Gen Con. I played it previously at Origins this year. Uh, Elizabeth's cousin got me into it and uh, I know he was he was a big fan of it. We actually had a decent part of our group playing at different times. Uh, John Hammock played for a while. Brassman played for a while. Juan played for a while. And then Friday night, Josh and JR came down and harassed me. <laughs> to be fair, JR did most of the harassing. He did. And it was it was funny because that was probably at 3 o'clock in the morning on Friday. And um, Yep. I was in a game that was not Werewolf, but was similar to it. Uh, it was a game called Witches or something. But anyway, more complicated. Yeah, it was. It was very complicated. All of the players not only were witches or villagers, witches being in this case like werewolves. They were either witches or villagers, but they also had different roles and powers that were assigned to them randomly. So, for example, I was the witch and the apprentice. I was a witch and the apprentice, and the apprentice gets to take over for either the judge or the undertaker who have specific knowledge and abilities themselves. And so I immediately killed the judge and took over his job and was making all of the decisions for the group <laughs> on who should live and who should die every night, which is a bad place for the villagers to be when the witches are deciding your fate every night. This game was interesting, but there were people playing who were 100% serious rather than 1,000% serious. <laughs> and as a result, it was not that much fun. And I know that at the end of the game, Andy got yelled at because he did not play correctly. Yeah, that's a real bummer. It was a real bummer. I was really glad that the people who were very serious about how the game was being played and were upset that people were not playing correctly lost. <laughs> and felt bad about it. <laughs> it's kind of sad when people go into a game like that, like, really dedicated to win rather than to have fun right. playing. Right. I don't know. Th those are the only people that I ran into who were, like, really, really into the game. Mm -hmm. But I but I do have another story to tell. So that um, one of the games I played on Saturday night, I sat down in this village. There were a couple seats around me. And I was waiting for other players to arrive. And as I was sitting there, a, a family of four came in. And it was a mom, a dad, uh, a little girl who was probably seven or eight, and her brother who was probably nine or ten. Everyone sort of walked in. Obviously, they knew what they were doing. They'd been here before. The little girl sat on my right, and her mother sat on my left. And, you know, I was talking to him, and I, I told him, you know, I can – I can switch seats if you want. You guys can can sit together. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. And her mother said, "No, it's fine. Like this is this is her game. Like we we came down last night and we're here from midnight till two or whatever." And I was like, "Oh, all right, cool." She's like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my daughter loves this game." 
and uh, don't trust her. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and her mom was like, yeah, she's she's really good at this, and she will lie and will read people, and <laughs> she's not your typical little kid. And this was, sounds horrifying. And I was like, okay. And <laughs> darn it if she wasn't right. So, so this little girl was the best player I've ever seen at reading someone's face. <laughs> she would just watch someone talk and be like, that guy's a werewolf. I was like... <laughs> All right. <laughs> and like that whole situation went on far too long because her mother and I were both werewolves sitting like right next to her. And she immediately called us both out, but no one would listen to her because she was a little kid. Wow. It was phenomenal. <laughs> she was, she was an outstanding player. That's terrifying. Yeah. That, that kind of power in a little girl. She, I mean, werewolf, you'll never be better than the seven year old girl. Absolutely. You'll, she was just, she was really impressive. I will um, look forward to meeting up with them again next year. I hope they're still there. <laughs> that was my werewolf experience. If you guys haven't played werewolf, it's a lot of fun. So I, I, I'm definitely looking forward to playing that again. You went, you went back to the werewolf hall, like I think every night. I went Friday and Saturday night. Yeah. And I will also point out that if you get an insulated thermos bottle, you can fill it up with gin and tonic and it will last through a couple of good games of Werewolf and still be cold. Seems good. Yeah, that was my plan. I have a feeling that there are going to be a number of people on the Camelback plan next year. It could be. I'm, st I'm The insulated thermos bottle is good for me. Like, you can fill it. Like, I can fill it up with ice water in the morning and still have ice in the afternoon to refill it. Yeah. So yeah. that was a good way to go. In one of my games, I was assigned the role of the drunk, and I realized I was LARPing myself, so... <laughs> anyway. Speaking of food and drink at Gen Con, I think the one notable place that we went this year for dinner was Pioneer, right? Yep, definitely. I'm trying to think of what made them so outstanding, but I, I think it was that they had house-made sausages, right? Yeah, the sausage was great, but really everything there was really solid all around. And it wasn't too expensive either. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked the heirloom tomato salad and burrata i mean simple but it was man it was really good and their right. pickled vegetables or house pickles and fermented vegetables were really good yeah i had some cooked carrots that actually they did a really nice job on i don't remember exactly what was on the sauce i can check a menu i guess but they did a nice job with the carrots and i had a my my dinner was a bologna sandwich which they also made the bologna in-house they did a nice job on that bologna sandwich i gotta say i don't remember what i ate I had some sort of pasta dish that was very good, I remember, but I don't remember exactly what it was. Mm. But we took the, the tour of meats where we got all four of the sausages on the menu. I, I'm not usually a sausage person, but all four of those, like, there were certainly ones that I liked more than others, but all four of those were very good. Yeah, yeah we kind of just, you know, we had probably eight or ten people, and we kind of just split off into groups, and Jimmy yeah. and Ryan and I just ordered, like, seven things and then split it all which yep. is great yeah 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 our end of the table we we got all four sausages and then individual food as necessary and 
that worked out really well. The one thing I was disappointed with was the desserts. <laughs> I sort of just tried other people's desserts, but none of them seemed outstanding to me. I thought that they were okay. I remember that I was glad that I didn't get one of the other desserts that I was thinking about, and I don't remember what it was. Yeah, they were too experimental for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. That's a fine line to walk. Sometimes experimental can be really awesome, and sometimes it's just like, this is an experiment. Right. It didn't pan out. Yeah. Right. I'd recommend that place again, and I would I would go there again. I would too. It was a little bit farther out than we usually go. But uh, we've been out that far before. I mean, it's not. Have we? It's not that far out. I know because the one group walked back, didn't they? Yeah, we walked there, and back. I mean, it's kind of nice to to get out of the chaos of you know the convention center and four blocks around it. So right. I mean, you it's probably three quarters of a mile or a mile walk, but that's not too bad. I think you benefit by going away from the convention center to eat. Definitely. The other good meals. I mean, we always go to Punch Burger, which I always think is solid. Other people seem down on it more, but I'm going to continue going there because I love cheeseburgers. Well, the important part is waffle fries over sweet potato tater tots. Sweet yeah, potato definitely. tater tots sound excellent, but the execution is just not there. You got to yeah. go with the waffle fries. Yeah. My burger was just overcooked this year and I was kind of bummed about it. Yeah, I understand that. But I mean, those uh, sweet potato fries and tater tots, wherever they are, I feel like those are always a trap. It's like, this is just a trick to get me to spend a dollar more on food I'm not going to like. <laughs> but yeah, so we always go to Punch Burger. They have milkshakes and burgers and fries. So the waffle fries are definitely the way to go there. The other good place that we found that we've been to twice now is that Pearl Street Pizzeria. I've actually enjoyed all the meals that I've had there. I think they do a, a nice job on regular pizzas and also their specialty pizzas. I had forgotten that we went there last year and... When we showed up, I was like, oh, yeah, this place. Yeah. Oh, awesome. It's this place. Right. Like I said, they, I think they do a good job. Their their pizzas are solid. I was pleased to go back there again. Oh, I did find a, a new breakfast place that's not Padachu. Oh, yeah. It's called Pairings, which is um, it's a little ways east of the convention center on the same street that Padachu is on. They are a frozen yogurt place that also serves breakfast foods. So they have smoothies and crepes and like oatmeal. Yeah. It's all really simple stuff. It's all pretty filling for like going into the hall and tidying yourself over either to lunch or to an early dinner. I was really happy with that place. I was really surprised one day when I showed up at I think 11. It might have been on Saturday morning. And there was nobody in there, and there was a guy, like, wiping down the glass. And I was like, oh, are you guys closed? He's like, no, we're just opening. Oh, yeah. I think they open a little bit later on Saturday. And I'm not sure if they're open at all on Sunday. I don't Sunday. even think they were open on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. But they were but, good uh, for – I went there Thursday, Friday. No, I was really stoked on that place. I was very happy to go there instead of instead of dealing with the bustle of Potichu. Yeah. Potichu is always delicious, but it's always – just a little bit longer than I want to wait and yeah. maybe sometimes a little bit more expensive than I want to pay for. But it's always delicious. So toss-up. And, I mean, there's always the uh, chicken fingers at the high-velocity sports bar. Always. I, I really did love that we went and got chicken fingers and then all simultaneously texted pictures of our chicken fingers basket to Jerry. Because <laughs> that guy apparently hates chicken fingers. <laughs> <laughs> he just disdains our food choices. Yep, that's Jerry for you. Yeah. 
Cuff, did you have any uh, adventures in drinking you wanted to talk about? Yeah, well, I think probably the only other game I played more of than Magic at Gen Con was a game about going to the bar and asking the bartender how many drinks they would serve us, which was interesting <laughs> to kind of see the, their like mind work through that. At the Gen Con dance, there was like a huge wait for beers, so we ordered 14 draft beers for like four people. It was really masterful because JR asked the question, how many beers can I get? And the bartender was essentially like, well, you can get two beers per person in your group. And JR pointed at himself and you and Sam and me and like three other people <laughs> who may or may not have been in our group and was like, I need 14. <laughs> no. He pointed at six people and said, I need 12. And then like, Jimmy came up from beside him and was like, I need 14 beers. <laughs> so that was pretty good. Yeah, and then we drank them down to like eight, and she's like, do you want more? And we're like, yep, back to 14. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought the one thing that I learned about from your escapades was the water Long Island. <laughs> well, yeah, so we, we went to, after the dance, we went to this bar. I mean, it's it's a, I don't remember what it's called. But they have a patio outside. It's kind of a sports bar, but we ended up getting a table outside, and it was nice to sit outside. And I went to the bar, and I ordered, like, a whiskey and Sprite. I'm like, oh, this was kind of a miss order. I want something more exciting than this. And I see a girl walk up to the bar and walk away with, like, a mini pitcher of something with a straw <laughs> in it. So I went up to her and was like, what is that? And she said, well, this is a water Long Island. And I was like, okay, I want a water Long Island. And I was like, okay, wait, does this have alcohol in it? And thrown off by the water part. And the bartender's like, oh, yes. And he just <laughs> filled it full of mostly liquor and topped it off with some water. <laughs> so, And it was $10. I was trying to figure out the point of a water Long Island. Because, I mean, normally you'd, you'd fill the cup up with liquor and top it off with a splash of Coke, right? I mean, that's a Long Island. <laughs> Yes. Or so, you could have a Rhode Island, which is cranberry juice. Right. But but I don't understand why you would get the Coke replaced with water. It's just a splash. It's not like you're saving calories or anything. I mean – Every calorie counts, that. I understand. I'm, I, I don't know. We had like 10 people with us, four people that were, you know, just like new people that we had met that night that just followed us to the dance and were ended up – hang out with us at this bar, and they called last call, so JR ordered 10 Water Long Island pitchers. <laughs> so they delivered us $100 worth of Long Island, Water Long Island, and four of those people immediately unfriended us. <laughs> so we tried as much as we could to finish them. I don't think we actually finished them before they kicked us out of the bar because oh. it was 3.30 in the morning, but... I didn't get pepper sprayed like I did last time I was at Gen Con, so that's a bonus. Bonus, yeah. I always enjoy hearing about that. I'm glad I wasn't there, though. Same. <laughs> I got enough of pepper spray when the concert next to us got pepper sprayed when we were in Columbus. Oh, really? I don't remember that. I think that was when we were in Columbus, when we went to that karaoke bar. Yeah. You don't remember the fact that, because it was, all right, I'm, I'll tell the story. <laughs> so Wait, I was there too, right? Yeah. Yeah. You might not remember, remember it. 
Yeah, you might not remember it because, yeah. So we're at karaoke and Eric's girlfriend is singing I Don't Remember What. And she starts coughing because she can't really get through the words. And they're they're like running the smoke machine really hard. And I'm thinking that there's something in the smoke because I I'm having a hard time breathing too. If it, like there's this acrid feeling in the back of my throat, I'm like, what is this? And it turns out that the karaoke bar is adjoining to like a little concert hall, and there's a door that goes in between them. Turns out the cops had busted in on the concert next door and pepper sprayed like everybody, <laughs> and the pepper spray was just sort of wafting in. And choking, sort of like really subtly choking people out in the karaoke bar, and it was really not pleasant. Oh, I I guess I just didn't realize it was um, pepper spray. I, yeah, that's it, what that was. It guess, was really confusing to me. I guess I thought it was just the smoke machine running real hot. Yep, yep, it was pepper spray. Okay, huh, neat. <laughs> I have no recollection of that at all. I, I have, I, I have no recollection of having problems breathing while I was there. So, I mean, I, I remember her like coughing on stage, but I thought that was yeah, just... yeah, that was why. Okay, neat, huh? Cool. Pepper spray. Don't get mixed up in it. Fair. Avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Gen Con this year. Do we have a question for the the panel? Oh. Nope. Wait, do we? What's your favorite game that's not Magic the Gathering? That's a good one. What is your Ooh, favorite that is a good one. not Magic the Gathering? Are we supposed to answer this question? Yeah, real quick, do it. Uh, um, it doesn't matter. Pick a game. I will say Cribbage. Really? Yeah, sure, why not? All right. I like Cribbage. It's real simple. It's still competitive. You can play it with any number of people from two to five. There's points and stuff. You get to figure out probabilities in your head real quick. I like it. I think my only answer for this question right now is Spartacus. Nice. That's a good game though. Yeah, it really is. It's 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 a surprisingly good game. Like when you first told me about Spartacus, I was like this sounds awful. It's like a game based on a TV show that can't be good, but Yeah, it's actually it's based on the TV show Spartacus which was on uh what AMC? Something like that. Uh, it is a good game. Or Stars. It was on Stars. Anyway, surprisingly entertaining. JC, what's your favorite non-Magic board game? I think my favorite non-Magic game is probably Dominion. I think it's, it's, it's a good game. pretty That's easy fair. to pick up for Magic players. I think it trans- transitions very well. I mean, it's pretty simple. There are not a ton of pieces or parts or things going on. You can play pretty quickly. I don't know. I think it's, yeah. it's probably my favorite game outside of Magic. So, you, listener... Tell us what your favorite non-magic game is. You can tweet us or talk in the comments section at Eternal Central. It's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. I'm Josh Chappell. Hello? And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Take a little trip. Take a little trip, take a little trip and see. Take a little trip, take a little trip, take a little trip with me. Oh, babe, did I miss? I, I didn't hear you.
Did you miss your one cue? You have like two cues a show and you missed it? Yeah. Well, my my computer was going crazy. <laughs> Did you want to say, say – Just say, and I'm Josh Chappell. You <laughs> <laughs> can't even do it. And I'm Josh Chappell. Can you not hear me? Excellent. Woo! Perfect. I did it like Score. three times. I only got the last one. The first one sounded like... <laughs> Things are going bad, man. Oh, God. This might be worse than the Twan episode.